for all you do for us every week, and especially on this day. If you have a copy of the scriptures this morning or a Bible, we'd like to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, there are some in the pew backs in front of you, and those are for you to use today and even take with you if you'd like. Um, Please take those and freely use them. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 for most of our time this morning, but um, we'll move around a little bit, so I appreciate, as always, your abundant patience. I think it was Hal Lindsey who first said, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for mere seconds without hope. Many of you perhaps today can relate to that sentiment, hope is everything. You see, hope is what brings someone from despair to gladness. Real hope. Hope is what can carry the discouraged person through a storm. Not lift them out of it, but bring them through it. Hope can help a wayward individual, perhaps a teenager or college student, actually find real purpose and genuine acceptance. Hope can do that. Hope can shelter a heartbroken Um, spouse after losing their mate to cancer after decades of life together. Hope helps you get through one more day and one more week and one more month, one more year. Hope can shine the light of forgiveness into the dark shadows of a bitter heart where injury has been allowed to remain and foster and grow. Hope delivers a fearful prisoner in bondage to an addiction or to a fear or to a debilitating emotion, hope can bring that person out to a courageous, genuine freedom. And Easter Sunday for the Christian it is ultimately about hope. I met a man just this week. He wandered into our ministry offices. I'd never met him before. He asked to see uh, one of us. He was bewildered. He was confused. He was struggling, and in his own confession, he was at wit's end because of an intensifying conflict in his home, and he sat down in the chair, and he just said to me, he said, would you pray for me and my family, because I really believe the Lord is our only hope. That's what he said. We prayed together. Still others among us walk, even this day, through a shadowy maze of confusing diagnoses. Mind-numbing treatment options, having received an ominous physical report. Hope gets them up every day with the confidence that God is there. Hope is real. It's unseen, but it's real. And the only reason we have real hope today, that anyone has hope today, whether it be this individual that came onto our campus or some of you who we've known and loved for a long time, whether it is acknowledged or not, it's because God, you see, in, 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 
left heaven in human form. He came, he humbled himself, he transformed himself from deity to flesh, and he willingly obeyed, took the form of a servant, and he died a criminal's death on a horrifying cross, satisfying the righteous demands of a holy, perfect, compassionate creator God, and he paid the penalty for sin's offense. That's what Jesus did, and that's why we have hope today. Jesus humbled himself. He made a way for you, for me, to have hope today. But there's more. You see, there's more to hope than the completion of Christ's death. And and that's almost enough, isn't it? It is monumental and wholly satisfying as it is and was to God. There's so much more, so exceedingly more. And that's what we have in Philippians chapter 2. We've seen the first half of this magnificent hymn that was given to us by the Apostle Paul. He says, listen, your attitude, if you're in Christ, should be the same as that of him, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, gripped tightly to. No, rather, you see, he, he emptied himself, he made himself nothing, and he, take, he took on the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness, found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the gospel. That's the power of the cross to set us free from bondage, to deliver us from darkness, to break the the bond, the the condemning bonds of sin's grip on our lives. That's what Christ did. But there's more. There's a second stanza to this great hymn. And Paul says, therefore, because of all that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was exalted by God. He's exalted. And the question that I have for you and for me and for all of us on this Easter and for maybe some of you are still kind of in the clouds and kind of wandering through that maze of confusion and you're just not quite sure what this all means. Listen, are you not yet weary of the struggle for trying to bring yourself into a right place before God? Have you not yet grown tired of all the vain attempts to satisfy your soul With effort, with things, with stuff, with substances, with cloudy relationships, with human achievement, with the approval of of family or friends or the watching world, the love and affection of others. Have you not yet gone long enough trying to make your own way to somehow pull yourself up to a higher, more comfortable existence? Listen, this is for you. This is the resurrection that because Jesus left heaven and humbled himself, God exalted him to the highest place. And he's seated, enthroned in the heavenly, seated at his own right hand. God exalted Jesus to the highest place. Now, there's something remarkable that I want to point out to you this morning. That before that happened, Jesus went to the lowest 
place, even lower than earth. If you want to hold your finger a place mark in Philippians chapter 2, I want to invite you to go to the right just a few pages over in the New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. This is the Apostle Peter now writing in similar refrains about the power of the cross, but he's writing to believers who are beleaguered by persecution. They are under the press. They have felt the weight of life, the, just the, the uphill climb of living, and then added to that is the, the flame of persecution because of their allegiance to Christ. That's who Peter is writing to. And in this third chapter of 1 Peter, he declares something absolutely remarkable that happens in the white space between the first half of Paul's hymn in Philippians 2 and the second half of Paul's hymn in Philippians 2. Starting in verse 13 of 1 Peter 3, this is what the apostle says. He says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now watch this. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Through whom, now listen, also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God awaited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now follow this. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, that's his exalted place, and is is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. But long before he was exalted, in his death, though in his human spirit, the scriptures say that Jesus descended to the underworld, to the place of the dead, of the spirit, and he preached to the spirits there to set them free. Now, who was there? The very alive, though in torment, spirits of those who died in unbelief during Noah's time. Can you imagine the scene in that kind of dark, foreboding place of the underworld where these souls had long been imprisoned without hope because of their unbelief, sorrowful, regretting, not having heeded the warnings of Noah, the witness of revelation, the truth, having gone their own way, disregarding all the signals, all the proclamation, all the warnings, but yet they had gone to this place in total darkness and despair. Suddenly, a light broke from above. And like the eerily lowering of a diver's lamp into the murky waters of the deep, in closer view comes comes Jesus. 
the sovereign Lord of the universe in spirit form, arresting the darkness and commanding all the attention and alertness of the spirits. And the scripture says, Peter says there, while there, he preached grace and truth to the imprisoned souls and set them free. Now, how amazing is that? Before he was exalted to the highest place, while his body lay in that dark tomb, his spirit, his, Jesus, went to the lowest depths of the earth and proclaimed grace and truth to the dark and bound prisoners of their own unbelief, and he set them free. Charles Wesley, in his magnificent hymn, Days after his own conversion, he caught this sentiment as he wrote, Long, long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. I can't even imagine. It's the power of the gospel. The lowest place because Christ humbled himself, was obedient, went to the lowest position. God exalted him to the highest place and exalted him there at his own right hand Acts talks about Stephen, young Stephen, this bold, passionate follower of Jesus in the early, ch- in the early church, found himself in the crosshairs of the orig- religious elite. And by the way, that's always what happens when you are resolved to preach Jesus and his magnificent humility. Religious people go crazy because it's such a threat to their existence. They don't want to change. They don't want to be made uncomfortable. They they prefer their brand of self-righteousness, worshiping him when it works for them. They'll try everything in their power to rid you of their lives. That's what happened to Stephen. They were done with his zeal. They were finished with his convicting messages and witness, weary of his relentless assault on their tepid religion and comfort and security. So they literally took up stones and they pummeled his young body, crushed his soul, and brought him to the brink of death. And then Luke tells us in Acts, in that powerful passage, that Stephen, right before he, he died on that place, he looked up into the heavens and guess what he saw? Do you know what he saw? He saw the Son of Man. He saw Jesus standing in the presence of Almighty God. Jesus was in his exalted place. That's what he saw. He has exalted him. Son of Man. In the highest place above the heavens. Now that ought to rouse some hope in you. That ought to instill some courage in you, believer. That ought to begin to, to, to fan some flame of faith in you of little faith. God exalted Jesus in the resurrection so that you can have assurance and confidence even in a violent end that today, no matter what your circumstance or how dire your dilemma, Jesus, in the presence of God, stands for you.
That's hope. Because God exalted him to the highest place, he rises above everything, everything for you. Praise his glorious name. Paul says back in Philippians chapter 2, there's a second thing God did. As a result of Christ's great humility and brokenness and emptying of himself, not only did he exalt him to the highest place, but God gave Jesus an exalted name. He gave him a new name, an exalted name. I love the beginning of the birth narratives. We looked at it a few months ago around Christmas. For young parents expecting their first child, it's all about names. It's all about names, right? Um, There are entire baby books on the market. You can go online and spend hours perusing for the perfect name. I recall when we were expecting our first child, all of our friends had had girls first. I mean, every every last one of them had girls, so we just thought we're going to have a girl. So we focused on girl names, Jordan, Jillian, Bethany, Ellie, Marissa. There were a few others. Most of mine didn't make the list, but they were all pleasant names. And we were pastoring a, a little church in Putnam County at the time. And from time to time, we'd drive up to the big city of Crawfordsville for a day at Target. Can I get a witness? I know you're out there. Right, you all do it too. <clears throat> but anyway, there we were. And uh, as we were checking out, we were making our way through the line. And this very nice, polite man, young man was checking us out at the register. And I looked at his name tag and it said, guess what? Jacob. That just hit me. I thought, whoa, what if we have a boy? We cannot name him Jillian or Marissa or Jacob. I said, man, that is a, that's a great name. And he said, thank you. I said, do you have any idea what your name means? He's like, dude, I don't have a clue. <laughs> and so we had this kind of bizarre target kind of conversation about what his name means in Hebrew and he could care less okay but anyway I looked at Tracy and she looked at me and our eyes connected and we knew wow if we have a boy it's Jacob so I don't know you know our son was named after some kid at Target but (laughs) no really that's a powerful name and we're thankful for his life but it's all about names the angel came to Joseph in a dream and a vision. Listen, this is how it happened. And he spoke to Joseph, this young dad, bleary-eyed with this impossible notion that he was going to, all of a sudden, he was going to be a dad. And the angel said, listen, I've got this thing covered. You're going to call him Jesus. And here's why. Because that means deliverer. You're going to call him Yeshua because he will save his people from their sins. That was his name. It was his name for his mission on earth. It was an earthly name. You will call him Jesus because he's going to live. He's going to suffer. He's going to die on a cross and save by virtue of his shed blood, his people from their sins. You're going to call his name Jesus. But do you know after the resurrection, he got a new name. God not not only exalted him to a highest place, the scripture says very plainly that God gave him an exalted name, a name that is above any other name, both in heaven and on earth and below the earth. What other name could be higher than Jesus? Do you know? God the Father's own name. He named him 
Lord, you are Yahweh. You are deliverer, creator, sovereign, ruler, almighty creator, Yahweh. You are Lord. He transferred all of his sovereign reign and rule and magnificent majesty and power that was embedded in his own name. Remember Moses, you want me to go to Egypt? Who do I say sent me? Tell him, tell them, I am sent you. That's the name. God exalted Jesus to a highest place, and he gave him a name that is above every other name, the only other name that is above the name of Jesus on heaven and on earth and below the earth is the Father's own name. He exalted him. He gave him his own name. You are Lord. And it's at that name Listen, at that name, according to the oracle of Isaiah, Isaiah 45, at that name shall every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord, Yahweh, God. He's Lord. (laughs) Are you still doubting? Now that ought to put our petty little worlds in proper perspective, don't you agree? He exalted him highly above all places, exceedingly exalted him higher than could possibly be imagined, and he gave Jesus his own exalted name. At this name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord, Yahweh, creator, sovereign Lord, and he reigns. He reigns in the heavens and he reigns in the earth. He reigns below the earth. And this is why Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, listen, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's the name you confess. The name that is exalted above every other name. This is no milk toast kind of casual campfire confession. This is full homage, total, unswerving, uncompromising repentance and self-emptying surrender and confession that your life, your allegiance, your destiny, your future, your purpose is no longer yours. It belongs to him and to him alone. This is salvation. This is hope. This is your Savior and your God. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be, shall be saved. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 some concluding words, and I, I, I just feel like we should conclude with these as well, but I just want you to listen. Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to this? Verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for his all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies 
Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also, listen to this, interceding for us. He's praying for you. Do you know what this exalted Lord is doing at the right hand of God? He's interceding for you. He's praying for you. That's what that means. He's praying for you. He's praying for your children. He's praying for your grandchildren. He's praying for your spouse. He's praying for your marriage. He's praying for your family. He's praying for you before the Father, this exalted one, this exalted creator, living God is praying for you. That's what he's doing. He's interceding for you. Are you still hopeless? Are you still determined to live life your own way? Are you still set on your own purposes and plans? Determined to live according to your rules, the way, the way life works for you. Or are you ready to bow? Bow before him. Confess him as Lord. That's the only response to God. I know there are some people here today that have confessed Jesus as Savior. And you sing of Him, and you adore Him, and revere Him. You've confessed Him as Savior. you've not made him Lord. He's not Lord of your family. He's not Lord of your time. He's not Lord of your affections and your passions. He's not Lord of your talents and your gifts. He's certainly not Lord of your future. He's your Savior. You found that sweet forgiveness, but you've never surrendered to his gracious rule in your life. And here's the only appropriate response today for all of us, for me, for you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Nothing short of that 
will bring you anything but frustration, misery, confusion, pain. We don't do this often, but I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I ask you to let the Spirit of God speak to you. Maybe you've made him Savior, but he's not Lord. Today, on this day, on this resurrection day, you need to bow your knee, surrender the will of your life, and make him Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and your marriage is absolutely out of control. It's, it's on the brink. And maybe he's your savior, but he is not the Lord of your home. You've not made him ruler God over your relationship. You're still trying to do it your way. You need to bow before him this morning and surrender your will to him. Maybe you're a Christian family this morning, and we thank God for that but he's not in control. He's not calling the shots. You need to bow before him and acknowledge his name. And as we sing this final refrain, this blessed hymn, I'm gonna invite you, if you are ready to bow, to give your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I'm gonna invite you to come right down here to this altar and bow your knee before him and acknowledge his name. Or maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you need to bring your spouse down to this altar and bow your knee together before him and call on his great name. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and let him exalt you. He will do it. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Praise his glorious name. The invitation is for you. You come, come to him.
stand and sing. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my
Let's stand together. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his face upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace both now and forevermore. He is risen. Blessed be his name.